0: Linea Sketch for iPad plus Apple Pencil is the perfect way to capture thoughts and ideas effortlessly. If you're feeling overwhelmed by modern drawing apps, Linea Sketch is the app for you. Choose from predefined color sets auto-generated with tints and shades. Work on a simple set of layers that are easy to understand and quick to adjust. Paint organically with Linea's watercolor brush or add simple text labels to your sketches with the annotation tool. The app's built-in grids and design templates get you up and running quickly and speed your workflow. Linea Sketch is free to download from the App Store today. Check it out at linea-app.com. It's where your ideas begin.
1: Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be working on a curriculum for artists, portraits. Now, if you'd like to develop healthy studio habits, ArtProf has everything you need, tutorials, critiques, art dares, and professional development. So, Claire, why don't you go ahead and get us started?
0: Yeah, this is part of our series of curriculums for self-taught artists. We've got business, illustration, comics, animation, painting, drawing, and basics. We're very excited to do part one of the portrait curriculum and I just wanted to start with the portraits that you see over and over and over again like Frida Kahlo and John I just am so done looking at these artists and Lord I feel bad saying that because these are really good portraits but we're just tired of them.
2: It's just that they're mainstream and that when you're a elementary or middle school student lucky enough to have an art class this is generally what you go over first although i have to say i don't think i've seen that picasso self-portrait before every everything else though yeah rembrandt that's that's the only artist i i I know of really or van gogh those are the only ones you know but there's so many really good portraits in the world guys
0: But Alex, I will say Rembrandt took portraiture to such an extreme. I mean, he painted himself multiple times a year for his entire life, and that's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it's wild. And even using consistent light and color throughout them, it's such a beautiful look, not just in him as an artist, but just that glimpse of portraiture in general and him aging and how he focused and told his story, kind of very muted of just Like that modern day thing of like i'm going to take a picture of myself every day for a year kind of thing it's a beautiful look at a life
0: let's talk about commission portraits lauren how would you define a portrait commission
2: portrait commission is a portrait that you do and somebody pays you money to do it so you have to listen to them and make sure that you get all of their specifications in the painting. I personally find these very challenging, which is why I only take on cat portraits, but some people are brave enough to actually do people and even babies. And yeah, (laughs) good good luck to you guys that that
0: do commission portraiture. I painted portrait commissions for a couple years when I got out of art school. It was the worst job. It was like clients we're so crazy. I mean, look at this. Amadeus is like, please, sculpt me as Hercules. I mean, it's like people have no end of craziness when it comes to commissioned portraits. And you really have to do exactly what your client says. And even when you do that, they're still mad at you. So it's a really <laughs> hard <laughs> situation. <laughs> Although, Alex, I was so excited about the Obama portraits because if you go back and you look at all the presidential portraits, they are so incredibly boring. Why was this such a big deal when they picked Kehinde Wiley and Amy Sherald?
1: I think it was just breaking that mold in the way that Obama broke that mold of who sits in the Oval Office and being like, okay, why does it have to be the same standard boring? I think otherwise I'd say the only moderately exciting portrait was JFK's portrait, which was super, again, mold breaking of not like that, I'm the president pose. They're beautiful, they're exciting, and they're just something new. And I think fitting in this slide of looking at all of those other standard portraits and then something that's so full of vibrancy, color and expression, that's showing, I think the best way to put it is not the ego of the sitter, but their impact, if that makes sense, rather than, oh, paint me in this big suit of armor, you know, make me look good.
0: (laughs) Then we have portraits that are done for newspapers magazines, so that's called editorial illustration. And this is sort of like a commissioned portrait in that someone else is asking you to make the portrait, but you have way more creative leeway because usually you're working with an art director and they're telling you we have an article about this particular person and you have to illustrate it, but they have a lot more room to be creative Now, that said, though, you do have to fit into Texas Monthly. But isn't (laughs) this fun, Lauren, how it's not your standard, this is what this person looks like?
2: Yeah, I think with a... Commission portrait that's commissioned by one person it's you're more concerned about getting a likeness that pleases that person whereas with editorial portraiture you get a likeness but you're also fitting that within an idea and so it's not like the likeness is the be-all end-all you also get to create a situation it's a it, it can be a little bit more conceptual than your your everyday portrait
0: Tell us in the chat who here paints portraits and tell us what you love and hate about portraits (laughs) because it's a loaded topic. People get very worked up about portraits in a way they don't about still lives, which is exciting. But I also think as an artist, it can be a lot of baggage to handle. Portraits of famous people. I think, Alex, we perceive a portrait of somebody we know very differently than the portraits we saw earlier. Now it depends, sometimes you're looking at a portrait you don't know who the person is because it's from a different time period. But these are people who are well known for their time period in their community. So how do we perceive these differently, Alex? Because sometimes we do know the person. This is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
1: I think that the way and I think Lauren made a great point before the stream that a lot of these portraits in any of these categories could be in multiple categories. And I think for me, when I'm thinking of portraits of famous people, it's removed from the person. So there's not the commission portrait of like, hey, paint me and make me look good, nor is it editorial. of, Hey, paint this person and make this point. It's more up to the artist to paint this famous person in their own interpretation and their own message behind that.
0: And so that sort of brings up the question, some people might look at this and not recognize Keith Richards, in which case you perceive it differently. Same thing with Vette Gilbert, sorry, I'm saying this wrong, but it's interesting when you do recognize the person, it really does change things. Like Lauren, you can't look at a picture of Katy Perry without a lot of (laughs) assumptions. like, how do you look
2: at this? Honestly, it's been so long since I've seen Katy Perry that I had to kind of check with myself to make sure this was Katy Perry because I'm, I live under, I live in this windowless studio and don't look at pop culture anymore. But uh, I think that you also have to be careful when doing really famous people because that image can be so recognizable that there can be little room sometimes for where the artist and where the artist's interpretation falls in. And so I think painting someone who's famous or well-known in their niche can be, can be really challenging in, um, in, in that regard, more challenging than say painting someone you don't know. Let's talk about self-portraits.
0: This gets deep (laughs) when you have to look at yourself for usually many, many hours on end. There's no way this doesn't become a psychological exercise for a lot of artists. What's your take on that, Alex?
1: I think that honestly, yeah, if you are looking at a self-portrait as just take how Rembrandt did it of like, oh, I'm not really trying to show what i'm feeling or any deeper meaning this is really just a study that's difficult enough as it is because i think it'd be a challenge to genuinely look at yourself but also that great opportunity to show kind of personality and character like this the the study in yellow is my favorite portrait ever done ever period i love it (laughs) um because it just shows so much character and it's not even called self-portrait it's just yeah i'm studying the color yellow
0: i like the yellow Mm-hmm. <laughs> Susie says, I love watching the British portrait contest. So many interpretations of the same sitter. Well, Lauren, you just yes. binge that joke. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I watched all three seasons of it in a few days after someone in my painting class recommended it. And I don't necessarily agree with all the people that they think are best. There are a lot of people that start with drawing the eyes first or that grit out their canvases, which is a way that I would never do But there were enough people doing it and the way that they talked about it made me see, oh, wow, there are many different ways to approach this. My way is not necessarily the correct way. There is no correct way. So I highly recommend watching it if you haven't yet. It's on Amazon, I think.
0: And I love it when the artist sneaks themselves into the painting. Sometimes it's not a super clear cut, here I am as an artist for example alex what did van Eyck do
1: this one is great because i mean we've all seen (laughs) this painting a million times but teeny teeny tiny in the background is a mirror and even smaller in that mirror you can see a tiny little man with a little red turban and a small easel and it's just great i love it it's it's one of my favorite self-portraits for that reason because it's just so small it's a beautiful kind of I I don't know. It's funny. I like looking at that painting, thinking of it as a self-portrait more than I do as a portrait of two people.
0: And I think self-portraits become very exciting when they really talk about identity, because I think my problem with portraits as an artist is so often they're just physical descriptions. I have this hair. Which I need a haircut really badly. I'm wearing a red shirt. And fine, that's sometimes part of it. But oftentimes, self portraits talk about somebody's journey towards their identity. Like this is from a graphic novel, Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe. And you can see there's this text that accompanies the self portrait. And then I just, oh, I love and hate this portrait. It's so, ugh. this is Mark Quinn. It's called Self and it's frozen blood from himself. Tell me if you've ever seen this piece because it's in this like refrigerator unit and I saw it in the gallery. I remember this like creepy hum and I just was like, oh my God, I love and hate this at the same time.
1: That's sick. I love there- that.
0: <laughs>
2: Someone told me the story and I apologize if I ruin it or don't tell it right, but I believe that this artist made five of these, which was good because one of them, the refrigerator broke and it melted into just blood. (laughs) There was blood everywhere. His blood, it was a biohazard.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's talk about surreal portraits. This is so fun because... We have a couple categories here. I mean, to be honest, putting together this live stream made me insane because there's 5 billion portraits out there, probably more. And yet a lot of the portraits we're looking at, they fit in multiple categories. So this is a flawed categorization at best. And of course, we're showing you a fraction of what exists. I mean, it's such a complicated topic. So, Alex, what's going on here with Omar Rayan?
1: Omar Rayan is one of my favorite living illustrators. And I think this is very (laughs) as standard as a definition of surrealist portrait could be, of starting very simple, like, okay, it's a portrait. And then surrealism is, you know, it's not real, but it's so real. Let's kind of put that in. And it's like a (laughs) toe in the water of like, okay, this is the beginning of what surrealism can be. It's a little bit wacky. It's more imaginative and you can kind of, let your imagination run wild with it. But as we'll see in the other portraiture slides, defining surrealism portrait can be as complex as defining surrealism. So it can go all sorts of directions.
2: Yeah, like I feel like this image here, this, this mask, almost fits into mythology maybe, which also is above the real, but in a different way than maybe we typically think of as surreal.
0: And then we have so many other genres. (laughs) I mean, Bill Clinton apparently represents the whole animation world in our slideshow, but the human face is everywhere. And I think even when things are not supposed to be portraits, we still see faces. You know, you see these Buzzfeed articles where somebody saw Christ in their grilled cheese sandwich. (laughs) We want to see faces, we're looking for them. No matter where we go, you can draw two dots in a line and we interpret that as a face. And there's nothing more powerful than that. Now, Alex, this is interesting because this person does not have tentacles coming out of Mm -hmm. their head. And yet you put it under surreal. Why is that?
1: I think because in that extent of what is surreal, this one is, for me, I love Brooke's work because it is all funny they're very funny to look at and comical but it's also a little kind of deeper statement too i think about like the object versus the sitter of how kind of in this piece in particular by sitting beneath the cushions of the chair it's bringing to that question of like when does a portrait essentially just become a piece of decoration in the home and that's kind of how i choose to interpret this one
0: Slotnir asks, so with the bloody head, what is it portrait type? A, B, A, B, or O? (laughs) I was so hoping you you
2: were going to pull up that comment.
1: (laughs) It's either type O or type A.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think sometimes people do associate surrealism with I've got a reptile coming out of my nose type of image. Why is this one surreal ward
2: it's it, it, it falls into that that uncanny psychological kind of area where where it's just the eyes really that are exaggerated and also maybe the angle of the head but it's done in such a way where it's it's not necessarily cartoon or caricature it's really focused on this kind of gaze and this kind of like mindset that really is what surrealism is linked
0: to I think Christine Zito thank you so much for the super sticker (laughs) we always need your support and I am waiting for the day that I don't have to ask anymore so help us out (laughs) I love looking at prehistoric art because they just had a wonky perception of the human face. Like they weren't even trying to make it real looking, which cracks me up because you get some very strange proportions. (laughs) Well,
2: I, I want to say on that too, is that I think that this focus on, on like realism is something that's really uh, like part of our culture specifically, like a, a, European, like Western European kind of priority setting. And so in art from different places, you know, the focus might be on something totally different. Um, Maybe there is like a a thing with flatness or with the kind of shape of the head. Maybe these have a different sense than just being like a real portrait of a person kind of thing.
0: Well, Alex, why does this (laughs) Play-Doh face from japan why does this still resonate with us it's so remotely realistic looking
1: i think first thing is looking at like human our the biology of our evolution if you were to run back way way back when you could grab like an ancient egyptian baby and then time travel them (laughs) back into present day and if they grew up they would, there would be no difference between them and anyone else. So our brains evolutionarily have not changed in thousands and thousands of years. And I had a great professor in history talk about this kind of topic and say, I think it's a big mistake to think of the past as always being lofty. If we look at something like this mask and we instantly find it kind of cute and appealing because of the rounded shapes, like we have to entertain that they did as well. It's almost disrespectful to our past collective ancestors to think of them as always being serious and everything has to be important. This could have been a comical project that you know in, meant to invoke a kind of sense of oh, it's a cute little nose. We we truthfully don't know. So it's a cool way of like why these still resonate with us because we the same.
0: I mean, Christine says it looks like an emoji. It's funny how this is from thousands of years ago, and yet there's a lot of crossover from century to century. We change so much, but we also are somewhat the same, no matter what time period. Thank you, RB Dick, for the super sticker. <laughs> we so much appreciate your support. Oh, that's and then so cool. <laughs> this is just blows my mind this claymation, and it's so primitive. And to me, it's actually very similar to this. I mean, it looks different. It's a different format. Animation did not exist back then. But I have so much fun looking at some of the similarities between centuries. All right, let's talk about religious portraits. And by religious, we mean there's a religious theme. A lot of religious portraits were commissioned by the church in Europe. And so when you're trying to please the church, (laughs) that's a lot to handle. And there are people like Caravaggio who got in big trouble because he painted Christ like an ordinary person, and they're really mad at him about that. I mean, portraits are loaded, but then you add religion, (laughs) it gets even more intense. So Lauren, why do we look at these with a different frame of mind?
2: I think that, yeah, religion is always a tricky subject and actually, um, art and religion and portraiture have been linked for a really long time. I mean, prior to now where, where, uh, rich people with money commissioned portraits of themselves, it was the church that had all the money. And, uh, that's, that's how artists had patrons in power was making images that furthered, you know, the, the. Religion that they were a part of. I'm specifically thinking of what the the Catholic Church, but, um, yeah, it's it. I think that there's a lot having to do with portraiture and power
0: in these. And then there are also religious images that get reinterpreted. For example, we have Renee Cox here. This is Renee Cox's take on the Pietà. Isn't this so fascinating? How these images they get reinterpreted over the centuries. I mean, it's fascinating, Alex, to look at, okay, what's the same, what's different?
1: Mm-hmm. It's really cool because then you look into the allegorical and the kind of social zeitgeist of what spirituality and religion can help us share and communicate. Like I love this great phrase of just spirituality in general is how we communicate with ourselves and the world around us. And so in that way, it's that thing of, Like this piece, for example, was not obviously commissioned by the Vatican of like, hey, we need we need a piece like, no, this was the artist making a piece that was inspired by our social language around spirituality. So in a way, it's and again, kind of like what we were saying earlier, how any of these can be all sorts of different categories combined. You could have a celebrity portrait that's also religious, that's also allegory, that's all of them jumbled together.
0: Susie says pictures were important because people couldn't read. I think that that is definitely the case. And if you look at these images, you can still connect with these. You don't have to be a person of the same religion to connect to a lot of these images. And I suspect that's one of the reasons why art is so important because somebody who isn't of this religion, you may not know all the nuances of it, But I can still look at this and go, oh, man, I don't want to be around this demon. (laughs) This is not pretty. This is a little bit scary. And I just think that's remarkable. Anna Weeder says, I love Renee Cox. Thank you so much for the super chat. Your support is so important to us. All right, let's talk about family portraits because there are a lot of families out there that are known for better or for worse. And I just love this portrait painting from (laughs) Schitt's Creek because this shot, especially, I'm sure this was not an accident that they're sitting on the couch, the people are in the background taking down (laughs) their portrait as they're looking at all their paperwork. And Lauren, why do we look at a group portrait differently than just a single person? Because that's more typical. is just one person in a portrait.
2: I like group portraits because you can see the portrait of the relationship between people. You've got all these different elements and the way that you situate someone in relation to someone else can create this dynamic that's really fun to read into if you want. So um yeah, that's, that's where I stand.
0: I mean, what's going on here, Alex?
1: (laughs) This is, I had not seen this portrait until this slide. And I'm like, this is my favorite portrait I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's so wild and weird. And I don't know what's going on. I'm assuming it was a celebration of like perhaps two sisters who like gave birth or I don't know (laughs) Um, the joys of motherhood, but it's, It's wild to think that this must have been commissioned. It's like, (laughs) yes, this looks perfect. (laughs) This encapsulates me as a mother.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Rev Malay. And also Donna Finch, who says, Paul Clay did some fascinating abstract portraits. The yellow man is my favorite. Well, thank you both. Ooh. Now we need Kat. (laughs) I also think it's interesting when you have a family portrait that's not a well-known family because this is a more humble scene of a family portrait. And if you think about it, it's not just the dynamics between the people. It also says something about the time period, about the culture, about class. And it's phenomenal to me how much can be embedded into a single image. Like, Lauren, how is this family... (laughs) Different
2: God, this family <laughs> well one of them looks like they probably have a lot of money for very fancy clothes and for a portrait uh done and also just the way that they're looking at the at the painter or the the, the audience shows that this is a kind of formal portrait meant to be maybe hung somewhere although you know the children are still misbehaving even as they misbehave <sighs> now Whereas here, this is an intimate moment. The audience is kind of a a voyeur into this almost. The, The family is not really aware of us looking in on them. They're just doing their daily life. So there's this kind of honesty, everydayness in that previous one.
0: And then you've got the Kennedy family who is in the US extremely well known. And so you come into it with that. But I also think it's interesting when you have portraits where you just have no idea the specific people. This is by a Chinese artist, and you can look at the culture and the time period based on the clothing, yet we don't know who those particular person people are. And this Goya portrait cracks me up because I get the feeling these people think that they look really good, but they (laughs) look ridiculous. Like the silly faces and the -the over-the-top clothing, is just hilarious. So Alex, another category, We're going to call it everyday people, for lack of a better word, which is where it's obvious it's an individual specific person. But the thing is, they're not a celebrity, but they're also not meant to be an anonymous person and they're not a symbol. Mm -hmm. Why are these portraits so important?
1: This is a very unique category, but I think very important category, especially looking at it from a historical perspective, because it's a freeze frame on like the everyman, the a shot of a person living their life, not someone who's, in my opinion, I like these because it's not someone trying to look their best. It's just someone who is there and a capture of who they are and what's important to them. And it's a good look at what a time period can be like for just a person on the street just a grab a random person waiting for the bus and i think that can be a beautiful glimpse into who they are
0: now there are many fictional characters oftentimes from literature sometimes from mythology and these are interesting mm-hmm. because they can sort of be like celebrities and that a lot of us can look at an alan lee drawing and go oh that's theoden and Wormtongue. i know a lot about them And then other times it's from this animation by Latte Reiniger, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. And these are such wonderful subjects because the same character gets reinterpreted many, many times. I mean, how many iterations of Lady Macbeth have we seen before? And that's fascinating too, because you get to see everybody's different take on that character. Anonymous portraits. What do we mean by this, Lauren? <laughs> in in the selection that you have here, anonymous
2: portraits seems to be portraits that don't have eyes, which really says something about <laughs> the way that humans read eyes and that being an identifying factor of a person where the identity is, is stored or housed. But... Yeah, this is supposed to be someone that create like an opacity where we don't, we don't know them, but we still get some kind of read on them, even though we don't have the distracting facial features to go off of.
0: And these are sort of like anti-portraits, because if you think about a portrait, so much of the process is about likeness. People complain to me all the time when they're doing portraits. Oh, it doesn't look like them. And yet here are artists who are intentionally saying you cannot know who this is. I'm going to take that away from you. Why would you do that as an artist, Alex?
1: I think for me, looking at all these, that's when you want to represent simply people. Um, Like in a lot of these, I think it's a a comment on say, they can be comments on race or gender or humans reaction to the environment um, just kind of humanity as a whole or in sections where a specific person is far too narrow of a view if that makes sense so I think in examining these it's like some of them are on queer identity some of them are on race some of them are on a specific statement that's being made that's making you question humanity's place in it
0: I think sometimes you could interpret an anonymous portrait where you're talking about some shared experience and you can say, hey, this could be anybody. This is not about a specific individual experience, about a collective experience. And that's where I think they become very important portraits because they're representing a group of people without getting super specific about who they are. Like, Lauren, why is this anonymous? Because it's got eyes, <laughs> but why do we not see this as under, say, portrait of everyday people? These uh, masks were meant to be
2: worn during a performance. So, or a theater performance. So they disguise the the person's features in, in the play and then something is acted out. Fortunately, I don't know a whole ton about no masks, but that it, the fact that it is a mask creates that anonymity.
0: Autumn Arts and also Jude, thank you so much for the super stickers. Thank you, everybody. This is so incredible to have your support. All right, let's take a look at allegorical and symbolic portraits, where it's a person, but that person is meant to represent something else. For example, if we look at this image, why do you think it's important, Alex, that this figure is white? It's a white sculpture. How does that make it feel more allegorical?
1: I think the first thing that comes to mind on it is like that kind of presence of in history. And you see it in the marble carving and you see like this is ancient. Also that thing of, I can't help but think of that confusion of like when we see a lot of marble sculptures today, many of them were originally painted and so vibrant and full of color. And so kind of that thing of like we place this kind of conception of what the past was onto itself.
0: And sometimes you don't always know necessarily what the figure is supposed to represent. But how do you know this is a symbol, Lauren, and not an everyday person? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, I mean, most people don't have green
2: stripey skin. Let's be real here. Um, but I think that here we then focus on the things that we do recognize. So the, the fur and the type of fur, the hair. What does the hair mean? The flower, what type of flower is that? What does the color mean? And these things, I'm not going to call them abstractions, but that, that, uh, yeah, allegories or symbolism, those, those elements each stand for something.
0: Yeah. And again, sometimes like the religious portraits, you may not know exactly what the portrait is meant to be, But sometimes there's a visual clue, like these are these smoke paintings by the South African artist, Diane Victor, and the title of it is Bad Thoughts. I mean, I don't need the title to tell me that this is a very harrowing portrait, that it has a lot of emotion to it. And so that's why I think symbolic portraits, they have an impact that crosses cultures and time periods, and that's where art really becomes almost a documentation of the world. And I think that's really phenomenal. So Alex, what's your take on Paula Rego's Angel?
1: (laughs) I love this portrait. It's, It's funny because it's just calling back. This is one of those things where it could have been in religious as well because the allegory that's shown here, I see very much like those Michael the Archangel images of the sword and the stately pose and everything. And it's just so cool how again it's all about finding and tipping into those not necessarily universal languages but widely shared cultural languages of saying something else about the subject
0: we have an art prof share today art prof share is where you create artwork in response to our content this is the painting basics track our tracks are a structured sequence of prompts and video lessons that you can do at your own pace. And they're great when you don't know where to get started. A lot of people know, I want to get better at painting, but it's not always clear what to learn first or what order to do it in. So this provides a really great structure for those of you who are looking for it. And you can see it's made out of six lessons. And this is by Helen Cook, who decided to do the track in watercolor. So Lauren, taking a look at the sequence of what Helen did, what do you see here? Because it is very different when you have a very structured sequence that you're following.
2: Yeah. Well, first I want to say I'm so happy to see this track done in watercolor. I think oftentimes people, they do acrylic or oil or gouache or something like that. Watercolor is very difficult. And I find this really inspiring to see this done in watercolor. But I think what I'm seeing is from the beginning, there's like a kind of uh, concern, not concern, but a a, a work towards a, a recognizable image. And then the further you get, the more comfortable I see, uh, the Helen being an abstraction, maybe in, in brushwork and color for sure. There's a lot of growth in color and all of these. And yeah, I think that you've made tremendous progress here and it's super cool to see the result.
0: Let's hear a little bit about Helen's experience. Helen says, never been to art school. I wanted the experience progressing through a series of exercise and Helen says, I'm at a stage where I just need to make a lot of paintings and experiment. And Helen says, I learned a lot about being economical with brushstrokes, with the master copy. Other paintings gave me the opportunities to practice different techniques. And Helen explains, I was really challenged by the abstract piece. This is where you listen to a sound effect, you create an abstract painting in response to that. and." Helen explains, the track has given me a lot of ideas for new work. I'm definitely going to keep exploring transparent subjects and work in a less realistic style. Well, what do you think of this jellyfish painting, Alex?
1: This is so charming, and it's such a great use of the watercolor medium, of knowing when to let the white of the paper shine through, how to blend those colors in a way where... You see when it's the blue on top of the pink, knowing when to have it be the blend and when to have it be the layers on top, which is something unique you can really do in watercolor. And it's such a good exploration of that composition. The, not triptych because there's four, quadriptych, is that a?
2: (laughs) Polyptych.
1: Polyptych. Like exploring this polyptych of the. I wish there was a word for jellyfish that rhymed with polyptych, but (laughs) uh, yeah, I think it's a great way to explore that movement throughout them.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of flow.
0: (laughs) Helen is live with us in the chat. I'm so excited that you could join us. And please think about looking at our tracks. If you go to artprof.org, go to learn and create, the tracks are free. You can access all of this content and... The other fun thing is there's a whole group of people in the Discord who are in the Art Prof Tracks channel, and that is super fun to work with other people. Why does that make a difference, Lauren?
2: Oh, it holds you accountable. It's hard to do things on your own. You can, you can do it, but it's not nearly as fun. And it's just really cool to have people cheering you on and giving you crits if you want them on your work. And it almost feels like you're a, a, an informal class, kind of doing it together.
0: There are many ways you can support ArtProf. You can purchase a 30-minute video critique of your social media account, Instagram, or your website if you're trying to establish a online professional presence. You can also purchase a lot of original artwork on Etsy, much of which was produced on our live streams. And a big thank you to our top Patreon supporters. You are all the ones who are making sure we are staying up and running and 100% free and accessible. We are getting to our Patreon goal, but we still need more. I would love to have a good night's sleep just once this whole year. Please. <laughs> That's what I really want for Christmas. So everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.